Welcome to Chapter 21 of the Kinsman Die Podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. Every 10 chapters or so, I recap the key plot points and provide some insight into the myths I've referenced in the book, as well as some of the creative choices I've made along the way. Before we start with Chapter 21, here's a quick recap of what's gone before. Vidar Odinson fought Jotun warriors outside the town of Halls, which the Jotun had burned down. Vidar then lost control of his fulgia, his familiar, which possessed him. Odin, after being gone for twenty winters, returned home at the behest of his wife Frigg. A few hours later, he rode out again to help his son Vidar, but not quite in the way he'd expected. It was by Odin's magic that Vidar was saved from the fulgia, and of course it was Odin's magic that bound the fulgia to Vidar in the first place. Frigg summoned Odin back because their son, Baldr, had been having bad dreams which have worsened to the point where he's nearly dead come morning. She hoped that Odin would figure out what the problem was and heal him. Frigg's ability to see the future has also returned, and so far, she's not liking what she's seen. We've also met blind Hodor Odinson and his girlfriend and soon-to-be wife, Alara. It's not entirely clear what's going on with them just yet, but clarity will gallop in soon enough. And then there's clever Loki, father of Vali and Narfi, husband of Sigyn. At least that's his second wife. Loki's up to something too, but we're not quite sure what. And in this chapter, we meet Vathrunir. Let's do this. Chapter 21. Vathrunir. Vathrunir opened his eyes. The sight of Vithi's wide, white plains, where he'd just been, in spirit at least, was replaced by dark cave walls that reflected the sullen red glow of his fire's remnants. Despite the heavy bearskin he draped over his shoulders, he shivered. Welcome back, his phobia said. One of my cousins had a romp, eh? If by romp you mean slaughtering more than two hundred Jotun, then yes, she had a romp. Well, what would you call it? He sighed. Both he and the Skrymir had expected Amma's attack on Halls to fail, but not as quickly as it had. Vidar Odin's son had just moved himself from the category of known threat to deadly foe, perhaps on the same level as the Thunderer and Yig himself. Assuming he wrests control back from my sister, as Fulgia said. War finds common ground with her, Vathrudnir thought. Makes it a partnership rather than a master-thrall relationship. What are the chances of that? She's got him now, and she'll fight him tooth and nail to keep control. I would. Vathrunir stood, stretched, and rolled his head on his shoulders. His neck bones cracked and popped. He shivered again and wrapped the bearskin more tightly around himself. Iggs returned. I saw, his Fulgia said, slithering into view. She'd taken the shape of a long worm, complete with bony head and backspines. Not that it mattered what form she took. Fimbulthul was a disir, a creature spun from the raw stuff of the gap itself. She had played among its currents, and, when Vathrudnir died, she would return to them. Anything happen while I was elsewhere? Ig's return now complicated everything. He needed time to think on it. And he had to tell the Skrymir. I scared away a young snowbear, a male, probably excluded from his pack. Looked strong. Be a bull soon enough. I meant anything I should care about. Oh. Well, no, not really. Good. Help me move this boulder, then. Fimblethole slid forward and wound her way up his leg. When her head was level with his own, she merged with him. Strength thrummed through every part of his hammer. Better still, he no longer felt cold. 
He stepped forward and leaned into the boulder that mostly filled the entrance to the cave. It scraped and ground against the frozen soil and the groove he'd carved over the past several hundred winters. Moonlight poured into the gap. With his fulgia inside him, he could feel every line and ridge of the boulder he'd just rolled back. But he remained inside the cave, just in case Goldtooth was watching. He knew Yig was occupied, because his wolves and ravens were in Vithy. Back to Jotunheim? Fimblethal asked. Yes. Vathurnir spread his arms and shifted. He hopped forward on long talons until he reached the narrow ledge outside the cave. Then he launched himself up on snowy wings and soared away. Vathurnir stood outside the Skrymir's Hall in Jotunheim, the last city belonging to the last Jotun. Trampled snow covered the last three steps up to the platform outside the big, iron-banded doors. The chiefs are about to leave, his Fulgi said inside his mind, her airy body drifting back out through the hall's doors. He grunted his thanks and leaned on the railing, gazing down over the snow-covered tents, longhouses, and few remaining halls of Jotunheim. The scents of cooking meat, spicy stews, and baking breads hung in the night air. The recent harvest had been unusually good, the best in nine winters. And, supplemented by the dry goods Balder had brought during his last visit, most Jotun would enter the long, dark days ahead with unexpected company, full bellies. That bounty had already caused several of the chiefs to argue for delay, to build their strength for another winter, maybe two, while trade grew and their people recovered. The big, iron-banded door squealed open like a happy baby, a sound this city hadn't heard in more than a dozen winters. Burly, in their furs and wools, six figures stomped into view. These were the tribal chiefs of hill and lake, mountain and plains, forest and river, names that had meant nothing in generations. Better to call them squalor and famine, death and dying, lickspittle and fear. Follow them, please. Make sure they don't cause trouble. Warn me if they do. His Fulgur looked at him and yawned, and grew a spined tail expressly so she could twitch it at him. He sighed and suppressed the urge to rub his temples. She settled onto his shoulder. All six? How am I supposed to do that? And what does trouble mean? Vathurnir bowed to the clan chiefs as they pulled on the wide platform outside the door. As High Shaman of the Jotun, he was second in rank only to the Skrymir. These chiefs knew it, but they still treated him like a mere tribal shaman. But he didn't mind. Not really. Sometimes it was better to appear less than he was. Figure it out. You know our plans. If they speak out against them or conspire with each other, let me know. Without the continued support of these six men and women, the plan he and the Skrymir had hatched would never succeed. So he played to their egos. The stupid ones, Lake's chief was the best example, took his bow as deference. The suspicious ones inclined their heads to him in return. Of those, Hill's chief was the least trustworthy. Her tribe had profited the most from trade with the Asir. All the chiefs but one tromped down the steps and onto the path toward the city and, he assumed, their respective dwellings. Unless any chose to meet by themselves in secret. Lake, however, stepped forward, bulky in his furs, his lean face deeply lined and burned nearly red by many winters, of cold and wind. What do you have to report, shaman? He's kind of an idiot, isn't he? observed his Fulgia. Vathurnir replied in the hand language. The Skrymir awaits my report, chief. Lake scowled and replied, long fingers dancing. I know what he wants, but it was my tribe that attacked Halls. I would have thought your shaman would have reported by now. 
She did. Their initial attack succeeded, and they'd spun ships to finish the Asir. We haven't heard anything since. That's because Amma's attack failed. The warband you sent has, by now, been destroyed. Lake's icy expression cracked. What do you mean? He is an idiot. The Asir killed Amma and the warband he'd led, Gothrunir said, his fingers moving more slowly. All of them. If you'll excuse me, I must inform the Skrymir. He gave a quick nod and then pushed past the chief, and then stopped as if he'd forgotten to say something, which he hadn't, of course. Oh, and chief, Ig has returned, long before he was expected. I'm sure you know what that means for our people, especially considering that Jotun axes, your tribe's axes, just felled several hundred Asir. I hope your desire to reclaim honor lost long ago has not destroyed our people's last, best chance at escape. He gave a quick nod, set gloved hand upon cold iron, and hauled the door open. His hand is on his axe, and the way he's glaring at you right now. Kill him if it clears his belt. Vathrunir paused in the doorway, then, without haste, stepped through and shoved it shut behind him. Well, he obviously reconsidered. Too bad, really. Following people is such a waste of my gifts. See where he goes. Stay with him if it's interesting. If not, find the other chiefs. Fimbleful leaped from his shoulder, shifted into a blob of tentacles floating on wispy wings before passing back through the closed door. The Scrymere's bellow came a heartbeat later. What now? Vathurnir went in, affecting Lake's imperious tone. Scrymere, I wanted a private word about how you're setting the other chiefs against me. The Scrymere's hall was wide and high-roofed. Aside from the entryway, it was dimly lit. The sections on either side of the entry were the Scrymere's to use. He slept on one side and worked on the other, meeting with the chiefs and charting the course of their people. And grim work it had been for a very long time, for them both. It helped that they'd been friends even before their parents had set them before the rising of Muspel's sparks. The Scrymere had his back to the door and was yelling over his shoulder as he urinated into a bucket. Ron's wet, saggy tits like if they're against you, it's your own fault for what you've done. Don't expect me to support your stupidity. All the other Jotun used communal jakes, since the urine was used to tan hides. As chief of chiefs, this was one privilege the Scrymere accepted, but he still carried his own bucket down to the tanner. You still need my support, Scrymere. I don't appreciate... The Scrymere finished and spun around a scowl on his broad face. When he saw who it was, he blew out a breath and grinned. You bastard, Vaft. I thought I'd have to waste more of my morning with that dimwit. A dangerous one, he replied, and then switched to signing. I asked Vimpleful to follow him. The Scrymere grunted and gestured toward the chairs clustered around the single lit hearth set deeper in the hall. The hall's back wall was mountain stone itself, into which had been shaped wide tunnels that led down into larger caverns where it was somewhat safer to speak aloud. Up here, though, they mostly used the Jotun hand language. Once they were seated, the Scrymere's fingers began dancing. So, Amma's attack on Vithi has failed. Vathrudnir nodded and related what he'd seen, ending with the most important news. And even better, Eek has returned. Now we'll have to... I know, the Scrymere said aloud. A grin broke across his face, shedding a hundred winters' worth of worries. He struck the arm of his chair before signing, It's great news. So... Despising Gladseem, had reported back while he was observing Amma's destruction. How is any of this good news? We needed Yig to stay away until after midwinter at least. 
I know, but I think it solves our supply problem. Sure it does. The Usir march on Jotunheim within the week, or maybe the Thunderer arrives tomorrow and brings the mountain down on our hovels. No need for supplies if most of us are dead. The Scrammer smirked, shook his head, and reached for a jug of ale, passing over the wine, and poured two cups. None of that will happen. Not that quickly, at least. Now that the trade route had grown more active, wine had again made an appearance in Jotunheim. The richest chiefs, hill and river, bought it thinking it somehow implied higher status. Vathrudnir was continually astounded at how petty his people could be. Here they were, on the brink of extinction, yet the chiefs still plotted and maneuvered while exulting in their perceived higher status. Before handing him the cup, the scrammer signed, We already needed another month to get more supplies. I think we can use Amma's attack to buy us that time. Vathrudnir accepted the offered cup, then he set it down to sign. They're never going to believe the rogue tribe excuse. We've used it too many times. All we need is to buy a few nights until Loki strikes. I don't see how that... The Scrymir raised a hand, then signed. We don't attack at midwinter as we agreed. We wait until we're ready, a month longer, at the most. Vathrunir snorted. Loki will balk at that. He's relying on that attack as a distraction. Yes, but I can be very convincing. When he and the Scrymir had been boys, his friend had staggered back from the rising of Muspel Sparks, frozen and gibbering about a vision granted by one of the wild land Desir. He had convinced him that the vision was real, and that it would happen, and that the pair of them could save their people. A winter later, once Vathrudnir had also been set before the rising, he'd come back with a shaman's gifts, just as his friend said would happen. You're going to show him where the doorway is in Gladsame, aren't you? He didn't relish the idea of sharing too many secrets with Farbauti's son. Loki had too long a history of double-dealing. The Scrymir shrugged. I don't see we have another option. Amma's failure means any new warband we muster now stands a good chance of being noticed by Yig or Goldtooth. So we play the Innocents, which, as I said, will buy us a few nights. Vathrunir frowned and looked down into the fire. Trust Loki still further? Both he and the Scrymir had known Loki before he had sworn a blood oath with Yig and joined the Asir. The Jotun had been holding their own against the Asir until then. After Loki defected, though, they'd lost two wars and ended up confined to desolate Utgard. He looked up at the sound of the Scrymir knocking his knuckles against his chair. He's not going to betray us. Not now. Are you so sure? Absolutely. He would have done it by now. He already knows enough to wreck everything, and he's the one who approached us, remember? Of course he remembered. Who approached whom wasn't the issue, nor was his problem a faulty memory. I have to offer something in exchange for delaying our attack, the Scrymir continued. He'll be risking more than us at first, and trusting us to do what we said. He'll want something for that. But the doorways? A hundred winters of planning and effort hinged on them. Literally all their hope is a people. He signed, It would be best if I were with you when Loki arrives. No, it wouldn't. Because I don't trust him, he knows that already. I haven't made a secret of it. How will your distrust help me convince him to go ahead alone? It wouldn't. Just don't show him too many, he said aloud. Sometimes the hand language just wasn't forceful enough. And those words were innocent, even if Goldtooth happened to hear them. Only a few, the scrimer signed. Expression grave, I promise. Vathrunir switched back to using his hands. Is he still planning to come here after Ithaval? 
Yes, our spies said that Ithaval won't happen until Yig's back from Hulls, which means we probably gain another night, maybe two, beyond what our play-acting will buy us. Good. That'll give me a chance to figure out what the chiefs are planning. Lake was more than usually confrontational just now. The Skrymir shook his head. I need you to join Belly and Helvig. He thinks he's found another doorway. Now's not really the best time to scout those. I'm needed here more than out there, even if I don't join the conversation with Loki. And what if this new doorway leads to an even better place than the others? We need every advantage to grapple with the Asir and win. Besides, Helveg needs snow bears, and their shamans can't handle that alone. So when you get there, you can help with both. Vathernew grunted and stared into his cup of ale. He sent thought out to Fimbleful. Anything? Lake's being verbally abused by forest and plains. Your hands are so expressive sometimes. What are they saying? Fimbleful delivered the mental equivalent of a shrug. Only that they're distancing themselves from Lake. When his gaze refocused, he found the Scrymere's eyes on him, curious. He set the cup down and signed, Forest and plains want nothing further to do with Lake. The Scrymere clapped his hands. Perfect. Aside from Lake, we're united. And he'll fall into line, too. Vathurnir gave the slight upward flick of the hands that meant he wanted to talk about something different. Let's go over this supply problem. That month you mentioned, I think I can have it. But my solution, coincidentally, relies on the same doorways you're going to tell Loki about. Vathurnir tapped the map spread out on the table. We take what we need from here and here, he said, first pointing at the silver square marking Ifington and then at the one for Gladsheim. We don't have the numbers to hold Ifington long enough, the Skrymir said. Not only was Ifington home to thousands of Asir, but it supplied the fortress at the breach with food, drink, and weapons. The Asir army, led by Tyr and Ullr, maintained a large presence in Ifington as well. We won't need to. Not if we start now, Vathrudnir signed. The people of Ifington, Gladsheim, and all the Asir towns had been stockpiling food and drink for months in preparation for the midwinter celebration only a handful of nights distant. Ifington alone probably now held enough supplies to keep ten warbands for a month, maybe longer. He flipped through the maps until he found the one detailing the long stretch of road between Ifington and the breach. He tapped the green disc to the east of the road, among what passed for trees in that section of Utgard. The Skrymir scowled. How is that even going to work? Even if we load up the merchants, they'll be expected at the breach. The whole caravan can't just vanish. No, but we already have a warband hidden on the other side of this doorway. All we need to do is... Ah, I see. Have the warband step through, seize the supplies, and step back. The Skrymir traced a finger down the long line of road from the Asir Fortress to the silver square representing Ivington. That doorway's completely exposed, though, right? Goldtooth and Yig, or both, could easily see what we're doing, not to mention the possibility of an Einharar patrol stumbling across us. Vathrudnir raised a finger in the air. Yes, but our friend has sent the loyal Einharar elsewhere. And Yig is about to be too busy intimidating our envoy while also trying to understand those dreams affecting his son. The Skrymir's frown deepened. He hadn't won him over yet. Here, let me show you the other half of my idea. Vathrumnir flipped back to the detailed map of Gladsheim. It had taken their spies months to get enough information to map the buildings and streets. He tapped a square inked into the thin hide right beside a red-painted silver square in what the Asir called the lower tier. We can also steal supplies from this storehouse. It's only one street away from the building where the doorway is, a building which our friend controls. Getting in and out of the storehouse, the Skrymir held up a hand. I, I can see loading up our caravans in Ivington. We won't be discovered there. 
probably, given our allies' help. But to do the same in Gladsame itself? To anyone paying attention, it'll be like watching ants march back to their mound. It's risky, Valthrinir said. But it's midwinter. Thrall's moving supplies through the city are already a common sight. A few more doing the same shouldn't attract any notice. We also don't need to rush it. We can seize the bulk of them later. But the more in the storehouse now, the smoother things will go later. It's a risk. Vathrunir met his oldest friend's gaze. The Scrymer knew the problem as well as he did. It was taking longer than either of them had expected to reclaim the supplies from beneath the frozen lakes, and so much of what they had pulled out was ruined. They just didn't have enough food for both the colonies and all the warbands, unless they piled another risk atop all the others they'd taken. The Scrymer gave a mirthless smile and gestured at the maps. You trust all those who'll handle this? Absolutely. The Scrymer stared at him for a long moment. Do you remember when we stood beneath the night sky all those winters past? Of course he did. All of this had begun on that night. The great glory of Muspel's sparks had just cleared the mountains. Emir's chill lights above us. You remember what I said to you then? How could he forget? The Scrymer wrapped the table and gestured at the maps. Go ahead with it. We've risked more before this, and we will again before it's all over. Vathrunir grinned. Their entire plan was one wobbly stone of wrist stacked upon another. He wouldn't let them fall now. Well, folks, that was chapter 21 of Kinsman Die. I hope you enjoyed it. For those of you at home keeping track, that chapter was nearly 3,500 words long. We met Vathrunir, or Vaft, to his friends and when he's playing online games. Vathrunir is the high shaman of the Jotun. He, too, has a phobia, a familiar, a disier. It should be obvious that their relationship is a little different from the one between Vidar and his phobia. We also get a glimpse of Jotun society and what appears to be their nefarious plans. Please take a few moments and rate or review the podcast that provides valuable feedback for me and helps boost the show's visibility, as does sharing it. And if you're so inclined, shoot me an email at mattbishoprights at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm going to read from the Havamal, Sayings of the High One, Odin, and I am reading from both the Bellows and the Larrington translations. Bellows, verse 21. The herds know well when home they shall fare, and then from the grass they go. But the foolish man his belly's measure shall never know aright. Larrington, verse 21. Cattle know when they ought to go home, and then they leave the pasture. But the foolish man never figures the measure of his own stomach. Thanks for listening.